Well, I just wanted to first say that Rob and Mary Beth send their love. We just saw them the other day and they are itching to get back, but they're taking a, a long needed vacation. They're enjoying it, but if you know Pastor Rob, he loves to preach. So he's already itching, he's already working on a sermon for next week. So they send their love to you. Uh, I also want to go ahead and call my children down. I got several who wanted to come in and hear me this morning, so I told them not to heckle me. Let's keep this thing sane and civil, okay? And, and speaking of that, actually, I was talking with my wife yesterday, and I said, you know, I'd, I'd like to have a good joke to tell to get everybody kind of loosened up. And I do that in some other ministry-type events that we do. So we were sitting there discussing it. She said, we ought to use this joke or use that joke. And, and so uh, as we're discussing it, my six-year-old is sitting over here playing with his toys. And, um, you know, we kind of get done, and we're laughing and joking around. And he goes, he said, Dad, he said, you can't do that. I said, can't do what? He said, you can't tell a joke in church. I said, why not? He said, you'll embarrass the family name. So, so I'm not going to tell a joke, okay? I want to start off with a quote this morning. And just be thinking of uh, the big picture of what this life is about. But it says, by C.A. Jones, it says, There is no attribute of man's personality more evident and universally recognized among men than his sense of purpose and of divine destiny. Of course, as followers of Christ, we recognize in all things that this destiny and purpose must be properly related to God and His ultimate intention. And I want us to kind of have a, maybe a, back out and have a big picture perspective, and I'm about to go there in a minute, but I think sometimes we all are from different walks of life, and we, we all have been shaped by maybe the theological traditions we grew up in. We've been impacted by that more than we know, and, and so we, we have got a certain view of what this walk is as a believer, and especially in the Western culture, uh, in the Western church, there seems to be a certain dynamic, and I'm not, I'm not throwing stones, but I'm saying there's a lot bigger picture than what we're seeing. You know, there's a lot bigger picture as his body the body of Christ and sometimes what we see because we get in a rut and we get so narrowly focused. To illustrate this, I, I wanted to talk a little bit, um, uh, a little more depth about this and I wanted to mention a professor. There was a professor at a pre prestigious law school and he decided to do an experiment one day. So he gets a big white sheet of paper, he puts it up on the board and he starts to um, draw on it. So, white sheet of paper, he draws a one dot, he draws another dot, and then he draws a line through them. And then he steps, steps back, and he's got about 27 students in his class, and he steps back and he says, explain to me, what do you see? Well, of course, college students know everything. They're very insightful, they're very deep and philosophical. So they're giving him all kinds of answers, you know, and really deep things and abstract things. and. You know, and some are seeing one dot, two dots, some are seeing the line, but out of all the college students, what was clear was that they were all seeing some form of a line and two dots. That's what they saw. So the professor kind of grinned and looked at them. He said, but don't any of you see the white paper that I drew on? See, there was a white paper that was before he ever drew the line and the two dots. They were only seeing the after, which is what most of us would see. We would see the line and the two dots. That's what they focused on. 
But he said the white paper represents a before. And why don't we see that? This is true of us and how we see God. See, many of us are focused on the after. The after is the fall. The after is the cross. That's the after to us. When time began, that's, that's our conditioning. That's what we know is the fall and the cross. But how many of you know God had it before? He had something before the beginning. God had an intent in his heart. He had a desire. He had a blueprint and a master design that he laid out. And it was way before he created us. Okay, so God has an, a before, but we only see the after. I wanted to look at a few scriptures dealing with God's before, and Paul covers this beautifully in Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 5. He said, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Again, um, Paul takes us back further than the after, doesn't he? He takes us back further than the cross. He takes us back further than the fall. He says before the foundation of the earth. In other words, before the beginning, God had an intent. God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You realize he had you in mind before he created anything. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He chose to adopt us as sons and daughters before the foundation of the world. You are already his sons and daughters. Do you understand that? That's something different. That's not the cross and the fall. Let's look back before. He also says in Ephesians 3, 9 through 11... And he says, and to bring to light everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was in, accord, in according to the eternal purpose that he had realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So do you hear that? There's an eternal purpose. And it was all wrapped up in Jesus. So even Jesus and the concept of what God was doing was wrapped up in Jesus. That eternal purpose, that eternal plan. Whether we fell or not. Think about that. Whether we, the fall occurred or not, everything was to wrap up and to sum up in Jesus. Colossians speaks uh, to great detail about that. I also want to look at Genesis 1. So, so we have the before. We have the white paper. And that's God's plan. And we're in Him. He chose us. He adopted us as sons and daughters before He created us. But let's go to creation. In Genesis 1, 26 through 28, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, our, after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And in verse 28, it says, And God blessed them. And God said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living creature that moves on the earth. So now we're at creation. Time has begun. 
in the beginning, what is God calling us to do? He's calling us to co-rule with him on this earth as his imagers. We're his imagers. So not only were we already sons and daughters in his mind, but he said, I'm creating these beings. I'm giving them a body, and now they're my imagers. And guess what? Eden was only on one part of the earth. Do you think about that? Eden was only at one part of the earth, and he said, I want you to go to the rest of the earth and create my good rule, create Eden on the rest of the earth and co-rule this planet with me. That was an intention he had. So let's, we've talked about God's before, we've talked about creation. Let's look at the cross. And let's look at what God's intention. So we know beforehand that his intention is that we're sons and daughters, that we were chosen in him. But what was his intention after the cross? It says in John 1.12, But to, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In Romans 8.14 it says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And you understand what we're saying sons, they're sons and daughters. That's inclusive. So we're all sons and daughters of God. This is after the cross. Galatians 3.26 for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So, we're getting a perspective of God. Before time, we're sons and daughters. Creation, we're his imagers and sons and daughters. We fell the cross, we're sons and daughters. So I want to uncover that a little bit in a minute. But... One thing I want to ask you is, what does the cross say about us? What is he saying with the cross? And these are some things that we should know just as his people. First of all, it shows his great value and his love for us. See, we should never lose sight of that. Do you realize he saved you when you were in your sins? It was not by your own merit you were saved. He saved you in your sins. And I'll get to this a little bit later, but we've got to understand the value He placed on us, the love He had for us. He made us righteous, of right standing, holy and blameless in His sight. And what was lost in the fall, He reclaimed at the cross. He reclaimed His sons and daughters. He made us alive. I'm not going to quote the scripture, but the scriptures talk about Him making us alive and making our spirit alive to co-rule this earth as his sons and daughters. So you got to understand that our spirit was dead. At the fall, our spirit died. And we had no more connection to him. We lived in our carnal self and in our soulish nature. We operated by our mind, our will, our emotions, our rational thinking, and we lost connection with him. So the fall brought us back. He made us alive and made our spirit alive. So just to look at this, I want to kind of give you a, a graph so we're, I'm going to take you back to algebra days, okay? And you're going to have to be visual because I don't have a graph on the screen to put for you. But picture a y-axis and an x-axis. Anybody know what origins are? Zero, zero point on the graph? I've got engineering types shaking their head out there. I can see it. I'm an engineer by degree, so I'm sorry for the geekiness here. So you've got a graph, and think of a straight line drawn on that graph from the origin. So God's before, the white paper was before the origin, before time began. God's intention was that we always kept increasing in fellowship and in co-ruling this earth with him. That was his intention. He intended Adam and Eve to continue to rule and, and to be with him and to fellowship with him. 
So think of before the fall as point A. I mean, excuse me, before creation. Think of the beginning of time as point B on the graph. Now we go up and then we have the fall. So instead of the graph going straight up forever like it was intended, what happened? The graph dipped down. So what did the cross do? The cross came and brought us back up in line with the graph. So what God intended from the beginning for us to co-rule as his sons and daughters, he reclaimed at the cross and the graph that went down, he brought back up and brought it back in line. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand the significance of that? See, God wanted sons and daughters before the foundation of the earth. He had a paternal instinct. He didn't need us. And I say instinct, that doesn't apply to God really, but you understand what I'm saying. He did not need us. He didn't need the angelic host that he created. But he chose to create and he chose to work with us as his people, as his imagers. That was his heart. His heart was for us to be sons and daughters. Um, where we lost fellowship with, it, with God, we gained it through the cross. It made our spirits alive. He reclaimed us as sons and daughters. He made us alive to walk as the sons and daughters. So we were never meant to stop at the cross. And so I, I want to talk about that just a minute. The reason I'm bringing this out and the reason I'm bringing this before and after picture is that mo most of us get so focused on the cross and say, thank God what the cross meant for me. And it did mean everything. It meant everything. I'm not, I'm not uh, putting uh, our limiting what the cross was. It was incredible. But that's where most of us stop. Most of us center our lives around the cross. Most of us center our lives around the fall. And that's what our identity is. Well, we're just a poor sinner and God saved us and thank you, I'm going to heaven. That's where our brains go. That's where we focus. But that's not where it's meant to be. That is not where we were meant to stop. In fact, because of being born in Adam, what do we do? We have a self-focused mentality. Instead of asking or thinking, what did the cross mean for me? We should be saying, God, what did the cross mean for you? What did it mean for you? And I'll tell you what it meant for him. He said, I have sons and daughters. I had an intention from the beginning. They fell. I knew they were going to fall. He knew it. He didn't predestine it, but he knew it. In his foreknowledge, he knew it. He already had a plan. But what did his plan entail? To bring us back up in line with the graph to be the children we were meant to be from the beginning. So I'm saying let's get our minds and our focus off the cross as beautiful as it is. And that is everything. And that is our entry into this. But we need to get our minds on, well, what do we do after the cross? So with that in mind, so let's assume that we've accepted the cross. Of those of you who are followers of Christ. And we now understand that we have a future. We ha God has a plan. He never meant for us to stagnate at the cross, but to continue. What does he do to develop us? And this is what I want to talk to you about this morning. We know that we've been made alive. Again, we know that he's reclaimed us as sons and daughters. But what does he require of us now that we're at that place? What does he require of us and to be useful vessels for him? He simply asks us to trust him. That sounds simple, to trust him. Just as he asked Adam and Eve, he asked them to trust him. 
but they didn't quite trust what his intentions were in the, in the garden. He asked the patriarchs and all the characters throughout the Old Testament. You can see it time after time. They were having to trust in a God they couldn't necessarily see. And they had to keep walking this life on this earth. And he asked the early church the same thing. Trust me. Trust me. He asked the same of us today. The cross was meant to bring us back in line. And he says, now trust me. Trust me and let me lead your life and let you carry out the purpose as my son and daughter. That's what I want to talk about this morning is this journey of trust. This preparation that we see God taking us through as his people. Let's start with uh, Proverbs 3, 5. That's a familiar scripture to all of you. He says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. The, the Hebrew sense of the word trust here is to have a strong confidence or a reliance upon someone or something. The word heart and the, the sense that the Hebrew gives here is really the locus of a person's thoughts, their mind, their volition, which is their will, their emotions and knowledge of right from wrong, their conscience. This is what they attribute to the heart in that, in that sense of the meaning with Hebrew. Uh, understanding is the capacity for rational thought or inference or discrimination. In other words, ability to decipher right from wrong and have a conscience about things. So he says, trust, have a strong confidence and reliance on God. To lean on Him without, with our mind, our will, our emotions, and to not lean on our own rational thinking. That sounds simple. Do you know how hard that is? How many of us battle that? I want to give a visual that God had given me some years ago. In fact, we were, we were having a prayer meeting at our house, and um, God had really done a lot of things and triggered some things in our lives for a journey. And it was several months after that, and God had spoken to us at this one time, and I was seeking God. And I'll get into this a little bit later, but just know that I was seeking Him with all my heart. God had transitioned us to a place, and I was saying, God, I don't know what to do. And I was sprawled out on the floor. And God seems to speak to me at times. I don't have a lot of them, but He speaks to me visually. He speaks to me in visions or in dreams. And, and these don't happen all the time, but when they do happen, I know they came from Him. And I was really seeking God, and I was really questioning things. And He said, I'm going to show you what trust means. And this is during my prayer time as I was laid out on the floor. And so, as I'm laying there, it's like He takes me up to Mount Horeb. Now, I don't know if you remember the scene of Mount Horeb in the Bible, but as he was on top of the mountain, it was tumultuous. It was black and it was darkness and thunder claps. It was, it was just a scary scene and God was circling the mountain. That was a scene at Mount Horeb, but in my mind's eye, I knew I was at Mount Horeb. And God says, I want to show you what trust is. So this is a scary feeling up there at the top of this mountain. It's dark, it's windy, it's thunder claps. And God literally said, walk to the edge of the mountain. So I walked to the edge of the mountain. And he says, now I want you to turn around. And I want you to open your arms up. And he said, now fall back. Fall back off the mountain and trust me to catch you. He said, this is the trust I'm looking at from you. This put an imprint in my heart and in my mind. It's so vivid today of what it means to trust God. And God wants us to trust Him. You know, trust is a deep-seated faith. It's a faith that is anchored in the knowledge that God is really trustworthy. Think about that. It's a deep-seated faith. 
So trust, I'll use trust and faith and belief interchangeably here because they're all really different shades of the same coin, different sides of the same coin. God wants us to trust Him. But as we go into this journey of trust, God has to shape our minds to see Him differently, to see things differently. And as I said before, we're born into Adam. So what does that mean for us? As I said before, our spirit is dead. We have no connection with God until we come to Christ. So our spirit is dead. We're operating out of our, our mind, our rational thought, out of our soulish nature, whatever we're feeling, whatever we're thinking, whatever we will, we want to do. That's how we're operating without Christ. But He wants to educate us in His ways. So we've been educated by the world. We're born into Adam. We're self-focused. How many of you realize how many things we do that are all about ourselves? Even in the guise of spirituality, we do things that are about ourselves. And I'm not trying to step on toes because I'm stepping on my own. But if you were to really think about some of the things you do, you'd realize, man, I'm really looking out for myself. But what does Christ call us to do? To consider others more honorable than yourself. To give yourself. Why do you read that throughout the epistles? That's hard stuff to take, isn't it? <laughs> but that's the retraining of our mind from being so self-focused and from being carnal. So we're taught to see things through our own senses and through our human rationale. Uh, one thing I like to say is this new life in Christ calls us to see things differently now. So we've been brought back in line with the graph and he's saying see things differently. We have to see differently if we're to walk as his children on earth. We read in 2 Corinthians 4.18, he says, As we look not at the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're fleeting. They're moving. They're passing away. They're not permanent. But the things that are unseen are eternal. We've got to see differently. 2 Corinthians 5.7 spells it out pretty directly. It says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. I can quote scripture after scripture after scripture. We have to see things differently to walk in this journey of trust, to walk as his sons and daughters. Trust or faith is really counterintuitive to our natural senses, isn't it? It, it cuts against everything in our being because we deal with the physical world that's in front of us, but it's counterintuitive. Trust and faith really takes us into a realm of what we can't see. That's the eternal. But that's hard for us to grasp. We have to be trained and we have to be led by the Spirit to truly walk into this area of seeing and seeing things through His eyes. Now, I'm not a person who's, who's given to formulas and you do this, this, and this. God's going to do this. That ain't how He works, okay? God is sovereign. The Holy Spirit moves how He wants to move, and we're just to be obedient and to jump into that flow, okay? So I'm not into formulas, but one thing I have noticed, not only in my own life, but if you study the characters of the Bible and how God worked with them, and if you study uh, men and women throughout the ages, uh, from the beginning, of how God used them, you typically see a, a certain pattern of how the Holy Spirit works with them, even how He directed the nation Israel. So there seems to be a pattern that He follows, and it's not exactly the same all the time, but it seems to be a general pattern. And so I want to talk about that a little bit on this journey of trust. I want to look at this pattern, and I want us to try to identify ourselves with where maybe we are with this pattern of this journey of trust. Remember, He's trying to call you deeper. And that first pattern, or the, I guess the essence of the trust he's trying to develop in us, 
is a trust that allows us to receive his salvation. That sounds pretty simple. You understand we have to receive his salvation. It really is that simple. And I often say the most beautiful aspect about the gospel is that it only requires faith or trust or belief. But the most difficult aspect about the gospel is that it only requires faith or trust or belief. It seems so simple, and it is simple. But what do we do? What do we do with that? I don't know about you, but I know even me, even having this head knowledge, God is constantly leading us into a heart knowledge. But some reason, I keep feeling like, well, I've got to do more. Well, okay, yeah, he saved me. I get that. Thank you, Lord. But I've got to start doing these things. I've got to start doing more. I've got to, uh, I've got to get better at this, you know, because God may fall out of love with me. I don't, you don't explicitly think that, do you? But if you look at the things you do, if you look at the things that you say, what are you really saying? You're concerned that God, who saved you, when you were in your trespasses and sins, you had no merit to earn that salvation. You're thinking you're going to lose it because you're not doing all these A, B, C, and D things right. It almost sounds like the Pharisees. But God says, just receive my faith. So in other words, you may have things that trip you up. You may have things that you struggle with. And what do most of us do? We beat ourselves up. We got to try harder. We maybe set reminders on our cell phones and say, hey, you know, don't get angry today or don't do this. Or, and we think somehow we got a will. And that's all good stuff. It's okay. But God says it's not you who's going to do it. No amount of biting your lip and willing and trying to do it is going to change it. He simply says, humble yourself. Look to me and show me your desire to change. We have to have the desire to change. All that's good. But he says... Let my grace do it in your life. It's His grace that transforms us. Talking about a salvation, I wanted to capture a little bit of the essence of this type of trust and faith that Paul talks about. Um, and I felt like Romans 4, 16 through 21 really captured the, the, um, the strength of this faith and trust that we have to have at this point in our journey of salvation. So it says in verse 16, chapter 4, it says, that, that is why, talking about our salvation, it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring not only to the adherent of the law but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all as it is written I have made you the father of many nations so we're the he's our father through the idea of faith that we're walking in the same faith that he has and that's what we need for, to accept our salvation. It says, In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So our promise of salvation depends on faith and it rests on grace. That seems basic. We all kind of know that. We hear that all the time. I don't know how many of us appropriate that and truly understand it. Our faith actually draws the grace of God to transform our lives. That's what's changing us. It's not us. It's God. And we have to humble ourselves and release ourselves to accept that. Why did Abraham trust? Why did he trust? It says, because he knew God, and he knew that God gives life to the dead, and he calls into existence that things that do not exist. So he knew God promised salvation, 
through faith, and he knew he actually could pull it off and do it. That's what he trusted God with. He knew God could pull it off and do it. Let's continue in verse 18. And hope he believed against hope that, we, that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So you understand, in hope, he believed against hope. Again, I'm talking about the essence of the faith and the trust we have to have to receive his salvation. So in other words, it was counterintuitive to the natural that was right in front of him. He was old, Sarah's womb was considered dead, and God gave him this promise. And hope against hope, he believed. What kind of faith are you having in God's grace in your life? What kind of trust do you have in that? And hope against hope, trust him. It says in verse 20, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he knew he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So again, God wants us to be what? Fully convinced. We have to be fully convinced. He is able to do what he promised. He's able to pull it off. Most people get stuck and, and they believe that, well, I don't, I'm not sure I can really follow this because I feel like I've got to do more. I feel like a bad person and I know I'm saved, but I just keep messing up and I, I feel like I've got to work it more. I don't know if any of you are in that place. I mean, and it doesn't have to be a fresh believer. Some people have been walking 20, 30 years in the Lord and are still stuck at the place of salvation because it's truly hard to say, it's just my faith. It's really that simple. I wonder if you struggle with sin or with doubt. I wonder if you feel you aren't able to change yourself. If this is where you're at this morning in this room, then you're actually in a great place. You see, this means that your conscience is actually working. You actually care. So the only change that you need right now is to be fully convinced. Trusting in God's grace. No amount of works or willpower can change you. And that's the beauty of it. It doesn't depend on you, but only on the humble acceptance of His grace. Amen. That's all it depends on. So see yourself as He sees you. Yes. Try to wake up every morning and see yourself as He sees you. You're righteous and blameless. Amen. You're not going to lose out with God by not performing enough things to make Him happy. Get up in the mornings. Raise your hands and say, Father, I receive your grace this morning. I know I have a tendency to do A, B, C, and D, but Father, I trust your grace and I'm releasing my desire to you. And I'm saying, Father, work your will out in my life. Let your spirit transform me. And say that and say that every morning. Lord, I know your grace is what's transforming me. So see, there's a desire there. You have to have the desire and that's fine. That's the good stuff. It's just that we start trying to work it ourselves. And I see so many people bound in working it. They become pharisaical and they're trying to work this thing. And you can't make it any better. He's already done the best. And he loves you. Now, uh, an image I wanted to give you is of a, a pendulum. And this is what I see in the body of Christ. And so, how many of you know we had this one camp who was really... Um, Hyper grace. We'll call them hyper grace camps. So the pendulum's over on this end. 
And so then you have the other camp over here that's legalistic. And the looser this camp gets, well, I've got freedom in Christ. I can do what I want. His grace is covering me. The looser they get, the tighter they get. Right? And you can see stuff all over the internet. This side bashing this side. This side bashing this side. By the way, let's quit. <laughs> right? Let's quit doing that. You know, what we don't want to do is throw out grace. Because, hey, by the way, they are on something over here. It's just gone a little too far, maybe. But they're on something. So we don't want to throw out the word grace. And that become a bad word. In fact, if we preach a grace that doesn't transform our lives, then we're preaching perversion, honestly. But still as the body of Christ, what does Jesus call for? He called for unity. So we don't throw our brothers and sisters out here and we don't throw them out here. But we do need to recognize that it's His grace that's operative in our life. We have to understand that it's not us. And I'm telling you, that is a hard place for people to truly accept. And even as long as I've been in Christ, there's areas in my life the Holy Spirit said, you know, I really took care of that. What do we do when we walk in that? We identify ourselves with sin. And Christ wants us to identify ourselves with Him. And then the enemy can't mess with our minds anymore, can he? Because now we're identified with Him. And now He's saying, ah, you're where I want you to be. Now I can continue to transform your life, okay? The next step or phase of this trust journey that we're on and the type of trust that's required is a trust that releases us to move from a false security to a total dependency on Him. Amen. Think about that. We read in Ezekiel 37, and I won't go there now, but it's an image before the throne of God. And there's a supernatural river flowing out from the throne of God. And as Ezekiel walks out, it's at his ankles. And then it's at his knees. And then it's at his loins. And then it's at his chest. And then he's over his head. This river, and it's, it's like every 1,500 feet, this river's growing deeper. Well, guess what? It's actually kind of supernatural. There's no river feeding into it. There's no streams feeding into it. So this river's growing in depth. But that's an idea of what it is to be in the Spirit. That's an idea of what Jesus meant when He said, from your innermost beings will flow rivers of living water. Because the Spirit is doing that in our lives. And so, this is a trust level that we've got to get to. Um, where we, we go deep into the river. You see, we have to be willing to step into the river. We have to be willing and desire to go deeper. We have to learn to trust Him. And this is where it gets hard with every aspect of our lives. Men, we're not the ones providing for our family. I'm sorry, but it's God. And He had to teach me that very, in a very sincere way. It's not us. You have to trust Him with provisions. You have to trust Him with your family. You have to trust Him with every aspect of your life. This is that place of trust and this part of the journey that He's taking you to. But one thing I really noticed on this journey, especially with our lives, but you see it throughout the Scriptures, is guess what? We have to step out first. Amen. So again, have an image of being at the edge of that mountain and God says, step off of it. Well, God, that's suicide. Well, I want to take you over there to that ridge. Well, there's a big gap, a thousand feet. How do I get there? He says, step off. And guess what? This is that part of the journey. This is that trust I'm talking about. But guess what? You have to lift your foot first Amen. and step. And as you step, it rises up to meet your feet. This is that place of that kind of trust. To go from a false security to a total dependency on Him. 
I'm going to share with you just a, a real high level of our story because um, I don't want to get into too much detail. I'd be happy to talk to anyone. But just to make a point of how God led us at this phase of our journey of trust. In fact, God spoke to us and he said, I'm going to take you from a false security to a total dependence on me. We had no clue what that meant, okay? I had no clue, but that was something he kept speaking to our spirits. And I want to say that he did that at a time that we were hungering and thirsting. Now, my wife and I have served God all of our lives. In one form or another, we've been in leadership in churches, and we've had a heart for God. You've got to understand that. How many of you know you get in a rut? And you do this thing you think is Christianity. But we knew there was so much more. So God started stirring. And by the way, it's His grace that stirs that desire in you. Isn't that funny? We don't do anything on our own. It's kind of like, we're okay, God, I give it to you. Right? That's what He wants. But we were hungering. And we're saying, God, we want to know you. We want to know you. We want to understand that know you in the power of your resurrection. Well, guess what? He answered our prayer. So, you know, in our minds, we think, ah, oh, you know, it's a continuous journey upward. And it is, by the way. But we'll talk about that in a minute. So we stepped out and he called me out for my job. Now, this was about 12 to 15 years ago where this hunger really started seeding in us. And I won't go into all the details of how we got here, but essentially he pulled me out of my job now. I was doing well. I was working for small to medium companies. And, uh, you know, this last company I had stock options in. Um, I was doing very well salary-wise, which, by the way, none of that really means a thing. But except to say from a worldly point of view, hey, this is working out pretty good. But God transitioned me from that job out on my own. Now, I think at the time we had five kids and five or six. I can't remember. There's so many ago. It's hard to remember. But... Uh, <laughs> We had a bunch of children. And I can remember, so the company I was working with, I actually worked out of my home in, in Greenville. And I had a business, an office. Uh, we'd meet downtown when we met with customers. But I kind of ran a business unit. But I would go up to Nashville, Tennessee, once a month and um, you know, go up there for the managerial meetings and all the good stuff and the planning. But they wanted me to start moving up there. And I knew God wasn't calling me to. So eventually we came to this point where they said, well, then we want you to start traveling up here all the time. Now, if you've ever known me, even from the beginning, I've never been a jet setter. I haven't. I, and by the way, I used to have the, uh, the platinum level sky miles. I've been there, done it, don't care for it. And the, in fact, it was like a, a frog in boiling water. You know, it starts off warm and all of a sudden you find you're traveling all the time. My heart has always been for my family. God has seated that in me from the beginning. That's how my dad was, that's how I was raised, and that's where my heart is. It's my family first, not the career, not the business. But I found myself traveling all the time. And so I said never again. And God was able to pull me out of that. Anyway, fast forward, I'm with this company, and now they're saying, hey, Chris, we want you to start traveling up here every week. And this was after we had our sixth child. In fact, the week after. And I said, well, that's not gonna work. And so just to, you know, to move forward ahead, we came to a mutual agreement. It was actually God showed me favor. They paid out my stock options. And um, in fact, they became one of my first customers when I went out on my own. But I'll tell you that night that I drove from Nashville, Tennessee, through the mountains on 40, back to Greenville, it hit me. And I said, God, what, did, what just happened? What did I do? I mean, now I have always had a desire to have my own business. 
okay? But I wasn't quite ready to jump out yet, so it's kind of like I'm hanging on and God's pushing me forward, okay? But also when I'm traveling back, I'm saying, what am I going to do? I've got to feed these mouths. I've got to feed my children. But we knew God had a plan for our lives. We knew that He was leading us in a direction, and I'm not going into the details of the confirmation after confirmation He gave us in that. But still, when you're faced with the real reality, I have no job, and i got to now make it, okay, things change in your mind, right? So, the other part of our journey is where I thought, and I knew without a doubt God was calling us upward, where things went the reverse. Didn't we see that in Joseph's life? Didn't we see that in Moses? Don't we see that throughout the Bible? So God's got a call for your life. And I'm not trying to scare you because I'm going to tell you something on the other side of this. But usually things don't go the way you think they're going to go. But guess what? He's developing you. So stick in there. So things go south. But I'll tell you, as things went south, I have never seen the hand of God as much as I have. And I can tell you miracle after miracle after miracle. We were down to pennies. We were counting pennies. We lived without power for eight weeks. We're pregnant with one of our children. Okay, and we didn't tell anybody. Only really close people like parents and maybe one or two friends knew. And that was only because I knew I can trust them and they would encourage. But I said, God, if you are calling me on this walk, then you've got to provide. If I'm really hearing you, then you've got to provide. And I'm telling you, we never skipped a beat. I can tell you so many times of how God would get provision out of nowhere. No one knew what the situation was, and God would provide. I've seen the hand of God, and I will tell you, when things go south, hang in there. He's going to provide for you. Stay the course no matter how it works. Another thing we learn is to find peace in all circumstances. So in this part of our journey... He said, Christian Genie, I know your heart is after me, but you've got to learn to find peace where you're at. You've got to learn to receive my peace and walk in that place. And as soon as you receive my peace in that area, I'll move you to the next. But you'll see that this has to be. Also, you have to remember that he's preparing you for your calling and your purpose. Not that he's not using you then, not that he can't use you, but he's preparing you. He's always preparing us for what he's prepared for us to do. He's always preparing us for that. Well, there's a little bit of a message here that collides with uh, Rob and Mary Beth. We've known them for quite some years. And so God next tells us to sell everything and move to Alaska. Okay? And the connection with Rob and Mary Beth is that they flew up there to surprise us to help us move in a parsonage up there. And six months later, God moved them up there. Okay? So... It's a pretty neat story. I won't go into all that, but I'm saying for us, not knowing anybody was going to come up there, we sold everything. We had six children at the time, sold everything off, and now we're going up there with nothing. But we knew God had called us, okay? I won't go into the details of that up there, but we were up there for about two years, and it was incredible the things God taught, taught us. And in fact, we, we walked through more difficult circumstances than what in fact the time before that was some of the most peaceful times in our life people would look from the outside if you were to look at it you say oh my goodness how do you do that it's like man this is awesome you know we had the peace of God but in Alaska we didn't realize what we were going to deal with up there needless to say God brought us back on the journey back just to quickly go through we're, we're traveling out in November 
and we we consulted with a lot of people who've driven the Alcan Highway through Canada and back, and um, that time of year, and everybody's like, yeah, it's doable, you know, and I don't know how many of you know, it's hard-packed snow up there, so all these people who say, you southerners can't drive, well, it's pretty easy to drive in hard-packed snow. It's the wet, icy snow that's hard to drive in, okay? So I, we were driving all over Alaska, very used to the hard-packed snow. Driving back, yeah, snow, we knew that. We didn't know it was gonna be 3,000 miles out of a 5,000-mile trip, pulling a 6x12 U-Haul fully loaded with a Suburban. Didn't know it was gonna be like that. We didn't know it was gonna be 12 to 14 hour days of driving just to get to the next. Hopefully you find a lodge because everything's shutting down. But the thing we did not plan for is when we went through a town called Destruction Bay. Great name. And we're 30 to 40 minutes outside of it and my transmission goes out. Now you gotta understand it's sub-zero weather. It's still cold. You don't wanna break down. and. And I'll tell you another thing, even though I had provisions and I had a lot of stuff to provide, even to burn tires if I needed to, if I got stranded on the road, because that's one of the things you do. I had all kinds of stuff prepared for that, but you don't really want to be surviving with six children and one of them's three months old. You don't want to be doing that in sub-zero weather. Just to say all that got worked out, that was a hard point. And I will tell you, this whole journey God had us on he had given me such a strong faith because I had seen his hand. And I was almost like Mr. Magoo, just kind of, I don't know if you, I'm 50, so that kind of goes back in the day I watched cartoons. But uh, Mr. Magoo's just going along and all these bad things are happening. And he's like, ooh, I don't know anything that's going on that's bad around here. You know, so he's kind of oblivious. That's kind of the way we were following God. We knew he had called us, our heads like flint, we moved forward. For the first time in my life, I felt like his hand was lifted from me. Now, that's another level of trust you've got to walk through. Because guess what? It didn't really lift, but it felt like it. After we lost our transmission, it hit us hard. We got back on the road. Traveling through the Canadian Rockies was the next big thing. Um, and I'm at a gas station on this side of the Canadian Rockies. And I'm hearing a couple who just came through in a nice car with chains on their tire, and they're like, now I'm pulling a 6x12 with a Suburban, and my Suburban is, I had it really overloaded, <laughs> so it's kind of dipping up a little bit. And they're driving this easy little car with chains on the tires, and they come through, and the guy's like, I heard him talking to his wife, and he rubbed his head, he said, I'll never do that again. <laughs> now, we just got our transmission fixed, and this guy's like, I'll never drive through that again at this time of year. That was the worst trip. I'm thinking, oh dear Lord, I don't know if I can handle something else. But anyway, guess what? We made it. Now, I've never seen so many sheer drop-offs without guardrails. And we're going 35 miles an hour through the Rockies. But we made it. And it's getting dark. We're on the other side of the Rockies. We're 30 minutes from Fort Nelson, which is our next stop. And out of nowhere, I hit a bad spot on the road at 45 miles an hour, pulling a 6x12 U-Haul, and I knew it. I couldn't pull out of it, I couldn't brake, and the amplitude got bigger and bigger and bigger, and I immediately started crying out to God, and I'm sitting there thinking, what's gonna happen? The, the banks on the road sloped down in the woods like that. Now, it's already dark, it's sub-zero temperatures, and we went for about 100 yards until we were going over both lanes of the road. I couldn't pull out of it, and then all of a sudden, the U-Haul spun us around, and we go down the hill. Hard not to, hard to talk about it, but I will tell you that God's hand protected us. 
he protected us. And there was a tire. Now, I had tires on top tied. I had all kinds of stuff tied off on my vehicles. But there was a tire in the bank I found out later. And that's actually what stopped us from rolling into the woods. And it made us jackknife. Okay. Let me just tell you that God's hand of protection was there. But remember, I was already feeling like he had lifted his hand off of us. And so I'm looking. My heart started thinking we're going to die. This is what's going to happen. And this is going to be the end of our story. But it's not. You have to persevere. You have to trust because God's hand never lifted off of me. He was testing what was in my heart. He was testing, will you still worship me? Will you still find pleasure in me? He was testing me. He was testing my wife. I will tell you the result of that journey and this phase of the journey I'm talking about and trust took me from a false security to a total dependency on him. That's all I can tell you. There is a faith and a trust inside of me that I look uh, reality in the face and I disagree. And this isn't mind over matter. This isn't positive confession. This is a deep-seated trust that God is in control and all I got to do is give my life to him. I want to read a quote by uh, Oss Hillman. Before I do, I want to tell you the walk is worth it. In fact, Jeannie and I, I don't want you to be scared because God has different journeys for all of us. My journey is not your journey. He has a custom package for all of us, but he's just saying, let go and release and let me take you on that journey. Yours may not look like ours did, and you're probably hoping it doesn't. But I'll tell you, I would do it all again, honestly. The stuff we learned, and we're on the other side of that piece of the journey, we would do it all again. We have these conversations all the time. We would do it again because it is so worth it. I want to read this quote by Oss Hillman to kind of wrap up this phase of the journey of trust. He says, it may seem strange to us that God uses such incredible adversity to prepare his servants for greater service. But this is God's way. God knows that the human heart is incapable of voluntarily stepping into situations that take us beyond our comfort, comfort zone. He intentionally brings us into hard places to prove us and to drive us deeper into the soil of grace. In arid regions of the world, trees cannot survive unless their roots grow deeper to where the water table can be found. Once they reach the water, these trees become stronger than any tree that can be found in, even in tropical climates. Their root systems ensure that they can withstand any storm. In the same way, God brings us into extremely difficult situations in order to prove His power and to drive our spiritual roots deeper. It's worth it. Guys, we're not living this earth. The reality is eternal. We got to see the things internal. We have to be loosely attached to the things of this world. I don't mean all beat ourselves up and go hide in a cave. We got work to do. Amen. We're sons and daughters of God. And the last phase of trust that I want to talk to you about is a trust that sets us free to walk out our purpose and destiny as His children. Each of us has a purpose for the kingdom of God. Every one of you in here has a blueprint that God has called. He, he's already seen it from the beginning of time before the foundation of the earth. You have a blueprint and he's waiting for you to step up and walk into that call. There is a purpose and a destiny. We read in Acts 13, 36, it said, For David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. So in other words, 
David fulfilled his purpose in his own generation. That's my prayer for me, for my family, for each of you that we fulfill our purpose for the generation and the history of time that God's placed us on this earth. We all have a purpose, but it takes trust. It takes trust, faith, belief to walk that purpose out. How many of you may already have a sense of a purpose in your life, but there's mountains in the way, and so you just kind of cower back and stay where you're at? Because it takes trust. God is trying to call you out to trust Him because He's trustworthy. Your purpose will involve a trust that looks reality in the face and disagrees like He taught me. You can look reality in the face and say, nope, this isn't as it seems. God's in control. Now, He may put barriers in front. I'm not saying just keep plowing through every barrier. In fact, sometimes Jeannie and I feel like a rat in a maze. That's kind of a bad example. but. We feel like we're going through this door that seems to be open. It closes, and we have to go this way, and then we have to go this way. And then we, But really, God just wants you moving. He wants you trusting. He wants you moving forward. He doesn't want you stagnant. A ship at port can't be directed, but when it's out, away from the port, the wind can blow it. That wind is the Holy Spirit. So let God lead you into it, your purpose. Many of you may sense that purpose in your heart but you're stagnated, and I'm saying let go. Now's the time to let go and trust. I also want to say that even though I presented these steps or these phases as sequential steps, they don't really have to necessarily be sequential, okay? God's parallel processing everything at one time. He's parallel processing each of us. What he's working in my life may be further enhanced by someone I know in this room because I hear them say something or see them do something or see them step out. And I say, okay, I can do that, God. You see what I'm saying? He's using and parallel processing all of us through our circumstances. So you don't have to necessarily go A, B, C, and D. Yes, it all starts with salvation because before then your spirit is dead to Christ. It's dead to God. He enlivens your spirit at the cross. But now it's time to move forward and let go and trust. So it's not sequential. Um, your walk will most likely be a lot different. But you have to trust that He's working His will out in your life. You have to understand that. And you have to realize that really it all comes down to your yieldedness. So you can process. I know people who have gone through these steps quickly in a matter of a year to two years because they yielded so completely to the Holy Spirit to lead them. So understand it doesn't have to be this long drawn out thing. But I hate to tell you, but Joseph had a long drawn out thing and so did Moses and so, you know, so did Noah and all of them. We have to trust. We have to look at things that we can't see and trust them. I want to just share with you, um, kind of in closing, just some lessons learned that God gave me and I wrote down in a journal as we were going through this journey. And um, if we can have someone come up and play the keyboard, I'm uh, just going to read through these quickly. Number one, when you don't understand, seek Him. Don't give in to fear or fretfulness. Try to realize that your own prayers are being most wonderfully answered. Answered in a way that seems painful to you, but just now is the only way. Trust Him. As you seek the Lord, number two, as you seek the Lord, He will confirm you in ways you never suspected. 
He will give you the encouragement you need to continue the path. Trust Him. The next one, don't isolate yourself when you're going through trials. Don't pull away. Reach out to others that you know hear from God. They will confirm you and encourage you. You have to move forward in courage. You have to move forward unafraid. And the way will open as you go. We're built for a relationship. I'll tell you, my tendency when I'm going through something, I feel vulnerable. And so I want to pull away even from the body of Christ. I mean, I've always got my wife. She's like the Holy Spirit to me. <laughs> so we have incredible encouragement in the family. But I'm not meant to just get encouragement in my own sphere. God put all of us together. And it's easy to want to pull back and pull away from others because you feel vulnerable. And you feel like, well, they don't understand what's going on. But God says, I built you for a relationship. Connect with people. There will be people that God brings along your path that will encourage you, that will get what's going on in your life. And they'll just be this outside person that's just encouraging you and praying for you. You need that in your life. The next one is fear blocks his way for us. So have no fear. Get in your spirit and know that all is well. No circumstances, no outward changes can harm you in any way. Each should prove a step of progress as long as your hearts are fixed, trusting in the Lord. In the Christian life, doors swing open as you come to them, if so be that you have advanced to them along the straight path of obedience. Now understand that's obedience, it's not presumption. But guess what? Even if you step out and you're afraid, I'm stepping out of presumption, I don't know if God really called me to do this, I'm here to tell you, that happened to us some, but guess what? He honored that because he honored the trust in our heart. So God's not going to, you know, his child steps out and says, God, I just want to trust you. I think I'm hearing you and I want to move forward. He's not going to drop you. In fact, he's going to draw you in because that grace is going to come in your life and it's going to be greater than you ever imagined. So trust him, obey. The next one is, so this is the continuing lesson. Go steadily forward in firm trust along the path of quiet obedience. That is your work. His is to cause the doors to swing open as you come to them and not before. So that's the piece again of stepping off that mountain and let it rise up to meet your feet. But you've got to make that step. You have to get the expected attitude of faith. Not waiting for the next evil to befall you, but awaiting with a child's joyful trust of the next good in store that God has for you. You can't wake up in the morning and think, man, I wonder what kind of tragedy is going to happen today. You have to have that expected attitude of faith and trust in God. The next one, persevere through your trials. Perseverance is key in the scriptures. Persevere. Many times God is fleshing out or revealing those things in your life that must be dealt with. And now, it's easy to get self-righteous, especially when you think you're on a call and you're following God and you know His hand is on your life. What's not easy is to realize all the stuff in you that he's got to flesh out. I felt like he picked me up by my ankles and shook me and shook everything out of me. And then he set me back upright so now I can shape and mold you. There's things in your life that are shaped by the carnal nature you don't even know are there. And only his grace can shape that in you. But you've got to persevere. You have to persevere knowing that he's testing the genuineness of your faith. And lastly, you have to grow daily, ever more and more, into His likeness. Do His will as revealed to you and leave the result to Him. Do you get
get the picture here, it's all about trust. We have to let go and trust Him. And I want to encourage you this morning, let go and trust. See, it's the letting go that gains in the kingdom of God. It's the opposite of what our world tells us. It's the opposite of even what the Christian culture tells us. We want all the nice stuff and God blesses me. But he says, let go and trust me. That should be your focus. Trust me. And God will pay for what he's ordered in your life. He will take care of you. God's heart and desire is that his sons and daughters walk at a deep place of trust in him. Many of you may be in a place where God is, God is calling you to trust him in a deeper way. Maybe you're freshly saved. Maybe you're, uh, you're at a place where you're, you just got saved and you're like, now what? I don't know if I really believe this. And I want to go ahead and ask everybody to close your eyes and bow your head. Maybe you're at a place where you've been a Christian for 10, 20, 30, 40 years and you truly never have understood what the gospel meant in your life, that you truly have been set free and what faith and grace and trust mean. If that's any of you, I'm not going to ask anyone to come forward, but just raise your hands and let me know that I can be praying for you. If you're at any place like that. The next phase, what did I talk about? Letting go of false security and coming to a place of total dependency on Him. Maybe you know God is wooing you to step out in an area in your life that you are honestly quite frightful of. And maybe even what I said today, it's not meant to frighten you because it's the greatest thing in the world. I would do it all over again. But maybe you're afraid to step out in that place. Would you raise your hand so I can know to be praying for you? And lastly, maybe you're at a place where you already have known God's purpose for your life, His calling on your life, but you're shrinking back because you're afraid of what it will cost you. You're afraid of the mountains that are in front of you and you think, well, this is impossible. If you're at that place, please raise your hand so I know to be praying. Yes. Thank, thank you, all of you, to raise your hands. You know, to trust Him is to know Him, and to know Him is to trust Him. We have to have that relationship with Him. We have to have that time with Him. And I'm not being legalistic here. I talk to God all through the day, and I pray, and I, and I discuss things with Him. And I know we carry His presence with us. It's not in one place, it's in us. But there is still something about getting along with Him. There's something about spending time with Him and saying, Father, You are so worth it to me. I realize what You have done in my life and I want to let go and I want to follow You. So let's pray. Father, I thank You for everyone here. I thank You that You have a blueprint. You have a plan. Lord, You are beckoning everyone in this room. You are beckoning everyone, Father. You are calling them. You are looking to lead them. And you're saying, let go and trust me. So, Father, I pray that you would infuse everyone here with a faith and a trust to even make the step forward. No matter what phase of this journey they're on, Lord, infuse them with a faith and a trust to even step into that area. Lord, I speak over everyone here and I just pray blessings. I pray that nothing would hold them back. That, Father, if there's something that's clouding their vision to see you, that that, that cloudiness, that darkness would be removed. And they would see clearly and have clarity of your love for them, of who they are to you, their identity in you.
but not just that, but what they're called to do in this life, on this earth. Lord, no attachments. And I just pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for putting up with me. Someone asked me if I was going to do any barnyard preaching, so I didn't do it, I don't think. But uh, we love you. The church staff here loves you. And I know Rob tells you that every Sunday, but it's the truth. I, I know he means it. I know we mean it. We pray for you. And I just want you to go out and be blessed this week. Amen. Let go and trust.